Hello everybody, welcome to your very favorite Bronze Age Spider-Man podcast. Here comes the Spider-Cast. I am your co-host, Mike Gell, and as always, I'm joined by... Joshua Mervell. And today we're going to be taking a look at uh, number 17 in the Marvel graphic novel lineup featuring uh, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and Captain America. That's right. And as usual, we have a couple of uh, guest hosts with us. First up, G.I. Jolie. <laughs> Excuse and me. Second up is Bex Luthor. Hey, it's me. I'm here. <laughs> What's going on? All right, don't get too excited, everybody. But we are reviewing a 80-page graphic novel this week. Uh, I picked mm-hmm. this one obviously because Spider-Man has a very small appearance in it. For those that don't know, now obviously today, a lot of people think graphic novels are like the kind of cool pretentious word for comic for people who are too embarrassed to be reading comic books but back in the 80s it was like a new name invented by will eisner but we'll talk about that in a minute and to capitalize on the market marvel decided well we're gonna flood the market with a piece of shit story every month featuring either the x-men or spider-man uh but to give you a back history of exactly what graphic no- novels are gi jolie has done some research right gi jolie and if I read, I googled it, and yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, so um, they made this, I guess, at the time, it was the 1970s, late 70s, 1979. Someone in Marvel thought it'd be a great idea because, uh, sorry, to launch a whole new line of books, and the, the, the title of it is literally Marvel Graphic Novel. Like, that's the line. Right. Um, like was previously mentioned, Jim Shooter at the time was the chief at Marvel, mm-hmm. and they wanted to create books that were um, the format of what they called European album, uh, which is like a cardboard cover with full color, full color, more like a magazine. It had like sort of like... Uh, they uh, it's quoted from a comics journal interview, but they say they refer to it as slick, which was is what I'm taking to mean as magazine. Kind of, yeah, thick and coated, mm. yeah, and yeah. pure white. So they wanted to have <clears throat> something that was a bigger format. So not it wasn't released in traditional comic book format. This was eight and a half by eleven, so legal or eight. And I didn't read much about the reception. I don't. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what the reception was. It sold relatively well, um, well enough that they um, allowed creators to. It was like a mix of author-owned and company-owned titles that were released under this Marvel graphic novel line, and notably, the most successful being the New Mutants. Mm. Um, they 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 list a bunch of other books, but none that I'm super super familiar. With. Like Dreadstar, a little, but Void Indigo, Starstruck, The Swords of the Swashbucklers, not really. Hmm. Star Slammers kind of kind of sounds like a '70s Pog game. Like <laughs> it's not very the, the the Futurians. I'm not sure. A lot of these properties got sold out to other comic book companies. And created 
like they created series out of them but yeah it was more it was more an offering that was they wanted to offer something and they were so serious about it that they actually like they hired somebody from scholastic to like create contracts uh for the for the writers and artists that they had well, one thing I also know is, um, uh, you know, the indie comics were exploding at the time, and I think Marvel was worried about losing some of their creators to the indie publishers. And so they created, I know that they also created Epic Illustrated. I'm not sure if it was exactly before or right after or around the same time. And that was, again, launched by, I believe it was Jim Starlin with Dreadstar, where they let their most popular creators uh, do their own books that they owned. Um, and as you said, they didn't actually sell these to other creators. They just let them keep them because, um, like, for example, um, Futurians was Dave Cockrum and uh, Void Indigo, I believe, was Steve Englehart, but I could be wrong. Um, and once, you know, once Marvel was done with them, they could take those books anywhere, whether it be, you know, Pacific Comics or First Comics or later on Image Comics. And yeah, and, and, and just for the record... Um, there are some good books in this line. Like the first one was The Death of Captain Marvel, a classic by Jim Starlin. There was The New Mutants one you mentioned by uh, Chris Claremont and Bob McLeod. And then there was Dreadstar. And then there's a bunch of ones, like some that you, you know we've heard of, like, Dre- like Dreadstar, Star Slammers by Walt Simonson, things like that. There's Dazzler the Movie, which I hope we can review one day. Uh, and then there's just books that just came in, like Marotta, The She-Wolf. Never heard of it, you know? Uh... Uh, Raven Banner, A Tale of Asgard. So that's tied in, yeah. And then there's a sail, like look at this, A Sailor Story by Sam Glansman. I've never ever heard of this. So you know, you got to at least give Marvel props for trying. You know, this is kind of like pre Vertigo, right? So DC later had Vertigo, but this was Marvel's thing. They were letting creators own their own stuff, and it was cool because you'd mix it in. So one month you'd have Cloak and Dagger, and then the next month you'd have The Shadow, Vert- Hitler's astrologer. What's that? It's like the next month you'd have the shadow of Hitler's astrologer. Right, yeah. I was going to say Greenberg the Vampire, <laughs> but... Well, there you go, yeah. Or Axe by Ernie Cullen, whatever. So anyway, so this uh, graphic novel we're about to review is number 17. So again, like I said, Marvel was flooding the market. Uh, because, again, they, they basically thought, okay, so indie creators and publishers have got this gimmick that's working that people are buying. So we're just going to wipe them out. By taking comics that barely deserve to be 22-page stories, and we're going to pack them with 80, 80 pages of story, and we're going to use the exact same creators who are doing our regular books. We're not going to get anyone special, for the most part. And thus, you have Marvel Graphic Novel number 17, Revenge of the Living Monolith. Uh, so, so just for the record, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to be, be down on these creators, but David Michelinie, who who's been writing various issues of Web of Spider-Man. He did The Mystery of the Smithville Thunderbolt. We all know David Michelinie. He did the famous Iron Man Demon in a Bottle story. He went on to do uh, Spider-Man with Todd McFarlane. So I'm not saying he's a bad writer, but he is a very, he's a standard, typical Marvel writer, right? He's just sort of one of the guys they had around doing the monthly books. We have Mark Silvestri, who went on to do X-Men, who ended up becoming a uh, co-founder of Image. And then we have Jeff Isherwood, whose art we just enjoyed in The Mystery of the Smithville Thunderbolt. So, this is yeah. not quite Marvel's A-Team, but, um, we're, okay, and now here's the thing, too. 
I thought I knew who the living monolith was. I really didn't. Uh, I don't know anything <laughs> about this character other than he used to be a bad guy called the Pharaoh, I think. But the that living doesn't pharaoh. matter. Yeah, the living pharaoh. There you go. So uh, we're going to try and go through the story as best we can. I'll start it off. So basically, we opened this story in Egypt uh, with a bunch of Caucasian <laughs> kids yeah. uh, dressed up in like baggy clothes, playing around. They get bullied by some kids. Then we watch the kid who got bullied grow up, go to college, fall in love. Um, you know, and then he, um, and we actually tie it into, uh, the ongoing, you know, uh, storyline in X-Men with, you know, the hatred of mutants and all that stuff. And then basically, um, him and his girlfriend, uh, get into a car accident and then his, his wife, at or his wife, point, who, who as a kid, yeah, they have a kid right, right. too. So they get into a, I didn't want to laugh. I'm sorry, but they get into a car accident and the car flips over and the baby, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny, but like the baby's just laying there, like in its blanket on the, on like the ground, and like wah, uh, you know, gulp wah, and then he looks over and he sees like the car with his wife in it, and he's trying to help, but everyone refuses to help because of his views on mutants, right? And so then he has to watch the car explode and his wife die, and you know now he's all angry, so you know he's gonna get revenge on everyone, and so he uses his mutant powers to shoot a laser at them and you know hurt or maim a bunch of them and then the rest of them run away and then uh once that happens he's all like you know swearing revenge or whatever and then behind him this guy comes up and he's like uh he's like uh, uh you're no, much more than you think yeah you're much more than you think come and i will show you your destiny master yeah and then uh well josh do you want to take over the next little bit then yeah, uh, we we kind of get a little bit of a we we are caught up to where he is in present day, where he is this kind of a little bit more of a well known villain fighting the X Men, um, and he's uh, kind of got this like little empire that he's building, uh, and then it like hard cuts to present day, and he he's in a jail cell, and this was all just kind of a dream. His arms are like bound in these like cuffs, so we can't use his powers. And we find out that the little kid that was bullying him um, at the start of the story it is now his, like, guard at the prison. <laughs> and he is kind of, like, teasing him about how he's in there and he'll never be anything. He's the same kid as he was before. Uh, this angers him and he breaks out. And just as he breaks out, he blasts the hole in, into the ceiling and all of his, like... Uh, his like followers jump through and they uh, plan this like prison breakout. And when all this is going down, that guard, his former bully or current bully, I guess if you if you're looking at it like that, he is like <laughs> trapped in a wall. Like he, he's been blasted and he's been like like pushed through like partway through the wall and it's like crumbled around him and they decide to cut out part of the wall and take him uh with them and this is kind of where our story picks up we see an egyptian woman going to new york for the first time and she goes to the baxter building and she's on some sort of secret mission that we don't know about and a bunch of those goons show up and try to stop her that's when human torch comes in saves the day uh they go up to the baxter building and he calls uh sue and reed from 
where are they philly or something like that they're out of town doing something yeah connecticut Connecticut. um so they're called back in because something weird is going on and this woman needs help it turns out that um the monolith he's trying to build this machine that will give him like ultimate power and be able to control um everybody's brainwaves or so that's what uh she says she (laughs) says that she wants she hulk's uh uh she-Hulk is like a bodyguard to kind of protect her while the Fantastic Four go and um, try to stop them. Uh, we kind of like cut back and forth. The You know, he's kind of like talking about his evil plan. There's some like Nazi imagery with all of his followers there as he like salutes and they all salute back. Um, and they kind of like start their evil plan. It turns out that the, the, the woman that came to New York it was kind of her plan to uh, trick She-Hulk into separating from the Fantastic Four because uh, Monolith wants the Fantastic Four for some unknown reason. So the ships show up and they triangulate on a position and it creates this pyramid which teleports them to Egypt and or maybe into their ship, something like I th- actually I think they're all in New York at this point. Wait, oh, they go to Egypt. Oh, they do go to Egypt. Yeah, yeah, it's so very confusing. It's very like there's no point for them to be transporting back and forth because they end up back in Egypt or they end up back in New York anyways. Mm-hmm. Anyways, not to um, the end though. They're like in Egypt for a while. Well, okay, be- uh, Josh, do you want to pass right. it over to Becca? Sure. Yeah. Okay, uh, Becca, you can take so- it from here. Okay, so like the the Fantastic Four, they transport them to his um the Living Pharaoh's cult, basically his base in Egypt, because it turns out he needs their <clears throat> abilities from their cause like their abilities they got from the cosmic power, and he needs that cosmic mm-hmm. power to grow stronger. Um, and then we we go back to the Baxter Building, and this woman hilariously tries to escape she hulk she's like now that my plan's done ha through the window but turns out not real glass so she just like tunks a chair at it and she hulk's like pissed off about it now and then the fantastic four are fighting all of the living um pharaoh's goons and eventually they get captured by a giant tank i think it is i don't know it's it's very strange how they get defeated like they just he holds up like an onk symbol and then they pass out yeah. Um, then they get put into these clear sarcophaguses because everything has to be Egypt themed and <laughs> nothing can be out of the aesthetic. Okay. That's very important. So then we pan back over and some of his goons are like, oh, we have to kill this woman because she got captured because um, they alluded to that at the beginning. Any of the goons that get left behind get killed by the living pharaoh because he doesn't want any like anyone to get interrogated or anything like that. So the goons are like, oh, we gotta kill this woman because she's been captured or whatever, so we can't, like, we can't trust her. And so it sh- it turns out that she is the daughter of the living pharaoh, and he's like, oh, I can't kill my daughter, but he can, so he does. Um, because the, the bully bullies him. He's <laughs> like, oh, you're such a wuss, you wouldn't kill your daughter? What a pussy. And he's like, watch me. And then he just disintegrates her. Like, the only <laughs> humanity he had left, he disintegrates her and then immediately blames everybody else, as as one does. <laughs> um, and She-Hulk is, like, right there watching this woman get disintegrated. Pretty wild. 
So then he grows into the living monolith now from the living feral, which means he just becomes bigger. And he's <laughs> decided to take his revenge on New York because um, it was the Fantastic Four that killed his daughter, which I don't think that that's how that happened. But all right, dude. So he's like, <laughs> oh, I'll have my revenge on the city that made me. He's like, why don't you just kill the, the, the cop that you have? But whatever. <laughs> So She-Hulk <laughs> contacts the Avengers, and the other one whose home is Captain America, so she's like, Hey, Steve, need your help. Uh, I got some science shit I don't really understand. And Steve's like, Well, I don't really understand. Who do we know that knows science? And then apparently Spider-Man is the only person that they know who can help them figure this out. <laughs> Strangely, they, he had to use the supercomputer to clickety-clack. Right, I love that. Yeah. is the only person. <laughs> They're like, but put in the keywords of searching our database of superheroes. Who's smart <laughs> and cool. And the thing is, they're trying to figure out where the base is, right? Yeah. They're trying to, like, figure out the teleportation so they can go save the Fantastic Four. And it turns out that they just go back to New York. So him finding out all that, uh, like, doing all that science stuff ended up being for nothing because he, they ended up going back to New York. Yeah. It's, right? It's like the monolith came here. So I don't know. I don't remember. They, um, <laughs> they, they're like, oh, we need Spider-Man for some reason. So they're like, how do we find Spider-Man? I know. We'll go to the Daily Bugle because Peter Parker takes tons of pictures of Spider-Man. He'll know where Spider-Man is. Still, nobody is any the wiser about Peter Parker's secret identity. Um, so Captain America goes to the Daily Bugle, runs into Spider-Man. Spider-Man does some science shenanigans. Um, and then it turns out that the living monolith took a, a plane to the United States, like just a, just like a 747, um, with all of his goons, and then they start their rampage on New York, uh, and then we're fighting, and then Spider-Man has decided that he, this is too much, like, this is, this is his point of, of no return, that this is too much, and he's like, oh, I don't want to be a coward, though, I gotta go do something useful, so he decides... To go back to the building, do more science stuff, and figure out where the Fantastic Four was, and bring them back. Meanwhile, the whole time, She-Hulk and Captain America are fighting the living monolith. Mm -hmm. uh, and eventually, they electrocute him? That's what happens, right? Oh, you know, Captain America has, like, a sit-down Captain America chat well, yeah. with him. About, like, what it means to be good or evil, and how people aren't born evil. And, you know, typical Captain America, words of wisdom. Um... And wait, then the government shoots him. Wait, yeah. wait. Julie, do you want to pick it up? There's only, what, nine pages left. Do you want to do the ending? Oh, God. No, but I will. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm not even sure where we left off. Was he cap Was Steve Captain America-ing? Uh, yeah. Let's see. Okay, so we've passed the part where Peter somehow is able to magic himself to Egypt. Science himself. Yeah, he yeah. scienced right there and um, <laughs> was able to, like, subdue all of his henchmen with webbing. Even though um, he was unable to, like, he was able, unable to sort of slow down the living monster. Which, I mean, I get it. It's discouraging, but whatever. But he finds out, because um, he, he's like, okay, well, I got to stop this and I got to free the Fantastic Four. But if uh, one of his henchmen, who is in full Egyptian attire with 
a science lab coat over the top. Like, yeah, he's the scientist. What? <laughs> An Egyptian scientist, you know. He's an Egyptian scientist, so obviously. Um, he, he tells Spider-Man, you can eat, if you destroy this machine, it destroys, it doesn't just destroy us, it destroys um, the city of Cairo, which we are currently under. Um, so you can either destroy the machine and destroy us and the Fantastic Four, or um, not destroy us, but it'll, um, by not destroying us, you'll allow the monolith to continue to uh, grow stronger and thus destroying Manhattan and potentially the rest of New York. Maybe just us. I don't know. Um, so it, it kind of cuts from there. We go back to the monolith. This is where Stephen thinks that he, <laughs> he like climbs up like a small ant to his face so they can see eye to eye. And he tells him, but for every one of them, there are dozens of decent, caring citizens. And like the guy is like, you know what? Maybe you're right. And he sits down on the rubble of a building. And there's like this panel, which is hilarious, where you sort of see the U.S. military sneaking up behind the monolith. And the monolith is sitting with his like hands on his knees. And Steve is on top of a building talking to mm-hmm. him. It's you're like, you know, son. It's great. <laughs> adorable. And then, because the next panel is the, it's the same thing, but from, because uh, we're over, we're going now over Steve's shoulder and we can see the model of uh, the living monolith. And he's so sad. He's just so hurt. Um, He really just is sad about his, like, losing his family. But in true U.S. military fashion, they just barge right in their guns ablaze and they shoot at him thinking that this is going to stop him, which angers him in, like, a very Godzilla kind of way. And Steve is like, you idiots. I almost had him talked off of this. And the monolith is like, there's, like, no coming back from that for him. And She-Hulk re-enters the fight. And uh, uh, she gets called names, like, super misogynist names. Uh, by the monolith and they I don't know how she, what she does she just grabs his foot um, but she does make light of the fact that there's like um, she's like should like should this be happening should should we call off the air force there's like civilians so Steve he says I assume that this area so we should get out of here too and that's it they, the U.S. military calls in, like, F-14s. Like, <coughs> drop bombs on him. Drop bombs in Manhattan. <laughs> um, they think that they've got him. Like, once the dust settles, because um, you can't really see too clearly, um, but the dust settles, and it looks like in the monolith kind of, like, um, has actually grown bigger. And he continues to grow bigger and bigger and bigger in like, you know, that sequence in Power Rangers where Rita Repulsa gets real big Mm -hmm. in that way, where he's just stepping on commuter trains and ending lives. Um, They don't understand what's happening. Here's the thing is that he exposes um, Con Ed, which is the power company. 
Um, I had to Google that a second time because I knew I'd seen it before and I was like, is that like shield or sword? No, it's just like an electrical company in <laughs> Con Ed. Um, so this, it's no secret. Uh, so he, in all of his gigantic being stomping, he exposes this electrical, like the electrical infrastructure, which um, Captain America tells the power company. He calls them on his cell phone. <laughs> like his gigantic Zach Morris cell phone that he what was steeping in his unitard. He takes it from a military guy. Oh. He's like, mm-hmm. kid, give me your phone. I got to call my buddies at the power company. Got it. So it's like, oh, so it's a satellite phone. Okay. That makes sense. It's a walkie talkie. Yeah. So to the like, power company. He's like, turn, <laughs> off, turn off the power and I'll tell you when to turn it back on. So he tells Jen- Jennifer, she yes, who mm-hmm. grabs the cable, which admittedly looks small when it was pictured before, but when you see her, it's like the trunk of freaking coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's got it, and what she does is she holds it up against. Um, Cap distracts him again, trying to like play to his humanity. Um, he distracts him enough. Uh, the the living monolith. I just I should say that um, She-Hulk is able to run up to his ankle and kind of like put the exposed wire on his ankle. And then Cap is like, okay, throw the switch. And they throw the switch and they quote electric. Um, which causes him to fall and trample like f- fall because he's so huge. He it looks like he tramples up because you see them running towards Mm-hmm. Everyone cheers because they think he's dead, and then Spider-Man flies in in the just at the eleventh hour with the Fantastic Four, who he's freed. We find out later that um, they're what is it? He Spider-Man had had the idea to just ramp up the juice to max. Which would cause the monolith to grow bigger, but would short out. In his mind, he was like, well, it'll create a short, and it'll stop juicing him. And then that way, I can free the Fantastic Four from their sarcophagi. And, like, once everything shorts out. Which is smart, but doesn't actually work. Uh, Because a few panels later, we see that the monolith, though he doesn't get up, is still alive. Hmm. And this, yeah, he's still sentient. Um, oh my god, what? What? I, I don't. So, under- like, yeah, call the Avengers, even the, after previously stating that we don't have time to call the Avengers. The Avengers show up, like, yeah, after everything's done. But then it turns out that all of his goons they show up in their like futuristic Egyptian spaceships, and they start kind of attacking all of New York. So now the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, and the Avengers, they all team up to kind of fight these guys. And um, in a last-ditch effort, Captain America continues to, like, talk to him and, uh, like, convinces him that what he's doing is bad and he's hurting a lot of people. So he tells Thor to tie a rope around him and then Mjolnir and throw Mjolnir up into space, which, which like catapults (laughs) the monolith, like, 
light like you know like light years away uh <clears throat> from earth and he at the end starts turning into a pl- living planet because yeah, he's ex- expanding Ego. yeah yeah well that's the thing yeah, he's expanding 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 then it's like and no longer is he the living pharaoh no longer the living monolith now and never ending he is Ahmed abdul the living planet the <laughs> and yeah so <laughs> so this is Man. the longest marvel team up i've ever <laughs> you know okay i thought it was fun i i actually had fun reading it is it a good story no <laughs> no yeah <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in it that just doesn't work uh but it's so fun every single step of the way like i'm totally here for the cornball cheesy story um i like that they gave time to set up the main villain and like make him a little bit relatable or at least attempt to do that he wasn't just like some mustache twirling bad guy uh, he had a little bit of depth to him. Um, sometimes, like, the logic of everything is a little weird and arbitrary, like trying to figure out how to get to Egypt only for a monolith to show up there, and then Spider-Man ends up needing that thing to go back to Egypt. And then, like, I, I, it's it's all very strange, and sometimes things just happen. Um, even, like his whole daughter thing too like i think it's a really great idea and a fun setup Mm -hmm. but it was executed in a really strange way like he's still hung up about his high school bully that he killed his own daughter because the bully bullied him into doing it like it just doesn't really make sense like and and they even set up that he he like hid his daughter away from the world and like gave her away. So he doesn't even know who his daughter is. So like he, he could have went there and killed her not knowing it was his daughter. And then that would give captain America a reason to believe that there's like some humanity left in him. Like he didn't know. And like that could be the thing that he's reasoning with him about. And like, making him feel bad about that and you know making him kind of come come you know come like throwing the monster away and 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 becoming human again and that's when the military creeps up on him but it just seemed kind of lazy in parts for it being an 80 page story um for what we got it could have just been like two issues maybe well yeah i, I think it's clear that this yeah, like, there, there wasn't enough story for 80 pages and they just stretched it out but there's they didn't take advantage of the yeah. space to do anything oh grand other than the spectacle of because they say in like the notes at the beginning that they wanted to recreate like a 1950s monster movie but godzilla mm. like that maybe in 1985 that was a novelty but that has been done to death so many times i just don't care anymore you know mm. so i mm-hmm. mean we could talk about other things, but that's my main issue with it is this does not justify like the graphic novel format. Uh, Becca, what do you think? Nah, I, I, I had a great time. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, how long is it? You said 80 pages, 60 mm-hmm. pages. 80. Yeah. 80. yeah. It's probably 50 pages too long. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, yeah, I just, he kills his own daughter 
Because a guy's calling him a wimp. Kill that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Like, why does this, like... And then this this guy's got balls, though. He's, like, goading this guy who he knows has powers in a prison cell, gets captured by him, gets threatened by him, and still goads him. He's like, oh, what are you, little pussy crying about your da- daughter? <laughs> like, dude. Like, way to take the bully <sighs> format, and that's your identity. You're like, I'm gonna be a bully for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Which, pretty accurate to how policing goes. So, you know mm-hmm. what? I'm here for that. Um... <laughs> Anything that has She-Hulk in it is great. I like it when they make sure to draw her super jacked because she better be. Uh, I don't know. It it could have just been a Fantastic Four story, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Nobody else needed to be in here. True. Mm, no. Yeah. It's the whole. Spider-Man, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Spider-Man was in here for a very strange reason. <laughs> At least they tried to give him a reason to be there, but. But yeah. it could have just been like he looked out his window and he's like, "Whoa, crap! Giant monster man! Better go help!" Like that mm-hmm. would make more sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like he destroys the World Trade Center. You don't think Spider Man yeah. would have seen that right. and just jumped in the fight? Like, what about literally every single other, you know, person in Marvel Comics at the time? Mm-hmm. It's you just- know, like, where's Doctor Strange? Yeah, the excuses this, for the uh, people not being here, like they like excuse the uh, Avengers. Th- Steve's like, oh, we don't have time to call the rest of them. They're they're somewhere. on vacation. Like, what do you mean? And then they, they, when they do call them, it specifically says that it only takes him a couple minutes to get there. Yeah, and um, Iron Man shows up with the rope, like <laughs> draped around his arm. I figured we'd need this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gigantic rope that will become a th- eventual. What do they call it? A thong slingshot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god. So, I love. Oh, where's the panel when the Avengers show up? Oh yeah, the Avengers show up in their giant ship, and you got Thor, you got Iron Man, and then freaking Hawkeye's there. It's like, oh, thank God. You know. <laughs> Wonder Man, sure. You know what? Pretty strong guy. Star Fox, fuck Star Fox. But then. Ha- <laughs> Hawkeye's here. Like, come on. Uh, yeah, you, I think we only ever see him in like one other panel too, like shooting an arrow. Right. Yeah, and he's just he's being, helping. He's just being shady. So, Julie, do you think this justifies the eighty pages? Actually, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think everyone thinking, else liked it more than me. Then, but anyway, I was thinking about it, and mainly I was thinking about Marvel Team Up, and I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? This is Marvel Team. Mm-hmm. If Marvel Team Up was eighty pages, it allows and good and and, <laughs> and better, and better. Not maybe not good. But definitely okay, better. fair. Not terrible, right? So it, this is exactly what Marvel Team Up needs: is room to breathe, mm-hmm. um, a, a room to allow all of the characters to like just not be literally sitting on top of each other as they're introduced (laughs) um it it was nice i liked having aside from the obvious orientalism and weird Mm. bigotry Mm -hmm. when it came to like the quote terrorism plot um it the backstory that we don't get in those marvel team-ups 
for the backstory that we do get that's one page of flashbacks <laughs> we got in like the first eight pages here and it was interesting it was actually really interesting mm-hmm. and it had something to do with the actual story too which was exactly. nice exactly uh and it made you sympathize with Ahmet a little more um so that when it came down to him and steve having a chat about what he was doing he wasn't just a monster um and it, he could you could potentially see him uh sort of rehabilitated you know what i mean mm-hmm. you, you it is a possibility rather than just like uh, a shoehorned device um okay well here's the thing let me just say i think one of the reasons i didn't like it maybe as much as you guys is because even though I think Mark Silvestri is a great artist, I thought the art was really sloppy. And I can only assume it's because of Jeff Isherwood, whom we all know from the mystery of the, of the Smithville Thunderbolt, uh, doing art. So, again, I'm looking at this book and I'm thinking, in 1985, I would have paid, what is this, twelve fifty. That's like $1,000 now, you know? And, I, and it's like, I, I open this up and the, first of all, the coloring I thought was kind of bad. Like, it's like marker. Yeah. I was going to say that. It, it, it looks like alcohol markers. Yeah. Maybe it is, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I mean, yeah. If you're saving I, time. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I didn't hate it, but um, it just seemed like really sloppy considering how expensive it was, how nice the paper was, all the size of the paper. Like they didn't take advantage of any of those things. It just seemed like a regular story. Obviously, I don't dislike these creators because I like them in other things. It's just that I don't think this book deserved this uh, format. I thought that the the art was pretty good at times. Mm. Um, I, I liked a lot of the facial expressions. Actually, I think I think I might have said the exact same thing with um, the story with the Smithville Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it. I think it, it. It is definitely sloppy at times. There's no right. denying that. But when time is taken to really focus on some of the characters, some of the poses and the facial expressions, it becomes fantastic. Right. Um, I really love a lot of like the, the, the comedic moments too, with the facial expressions, like, uh, like when cap visits J Jonah Jameson and he's all like geeked that he's meeting his hero, captain America. And he's like, Hey, I'm actually here for Peter Parker. And he like, like, that that like face that he makes that right. like defeated like hmm, Parker. It's so it's so good. Mm-hmm. It it like it it's both like a very like very well done, well executed, funny face. It also like encapsulate encapsulate yeah, encapsulates. Yes, <laughs> that <laughs> word. Uh, like everything about JJ. Like it. It's just. It works perfectly for his character. Right. So, uh, yeah, at times, I think the art is very well done in this issue. Yeah. I didn't think that it was um, the tightest of stories. There was definitely something, there were definitely some things that we should Um, For example, I was trying to flip back to the the image of uh, Cap going to the the bugle. One, I loved that scene. But... Mm -hmm. um, Sorry. So, like, back to my original point. But there are things that, like, an editor might have said, hey, take another look at that. The Pharaoh cult having guns. 
Mm. And then, okay, so I think it's Digital 18 when uh, Faya uh, is trying to get into the Baxter building. There's a bunch of the cult members just standing casually in front of the Baxter building, semi automatic. America. Just in the middle of Manhattan, <laughs> a no open carry state. Um. And there's a man and a boy who are like, this is none of our business. Let's move. <laughs> and the and kid's, kid's like, like, oh, man. Yeah, the kid's like, oh, jeez. <laughs> but like, I wanted to see the murder, Dan. Right? <laughs> and then, and then, the, the, here's the thing, though, is that they have guns, which looks ridiculous. Like, they're, they, they look, they're dressed as ancient Egyptians would have dressed, but they're holding modern guns. Right. And when it comes down to attacking her, he pulls out a dagger and mm-hmm. attacks her mm-hmm. instead of shooting at her. Like, it's just weird. Just like those types of um, like finishes aren't there. The thing is, the scene with like J. Jonah Jameson, that felt like Spider-Man. Now, I don't want to say Spider-Man the movie, but I think Josh and I talked about this uh, a long time ago when we were reviewing like... I think it was the Superman Spider-Man Treasury Edition or something like that where mm. it feels like the it's like this is Marvel the movie where you see all these weird scenes done by different creators that you wouldn't usually see them do and mm-hmm. so it felt like they were having fun with stuff like that but I think another reason I didn't care so much about the story is I had, I really didn't know who the f- living pharaoh was I mean they could have which doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad story but I don't know I mean even by the end of the story even though they did give him some character development. The fact that all he ends up doing is just expanding into a living planet. I don't know. The, just the idea doesn't really do much for me. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's fair. I think that at the beginning, I actually really liked the backstory that they were setting up for him. And it was really working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, even up to the point where like his whole, his old bully is a police officer, like guarding him at the prison. I love that. Um, and then him, of course, why wouldn't he want to take his high school bully along with him to kind of like prove him wrong and then, you know, finish things off. Right, right, right. Like right. that's, that's such a fun, great idea. Uh, but then that's where it kind of all falls apart is when it becomes this big master plan to take over the world and things just start happening to have emotional beats like his right. having to kill his daughter cause he's bullied into doing it. And then cap. Uh, talking him off the ledge and everything is I really loved that scene and I think the, the best stuff in this book is all the Captain America stuff surprisingly mm-hmm. but it just doesn't work because I don't believe that he would just stop like he just killed his daughter he's so ruthless right so so his secrets didn't come out but he's gonna listen to Captain he's gonna sit down in the middle of a rampage to listen to Captain America because he said hey listen I got something to say to you it's like really <laughs> right, like right. It, that that's when it falls apart for me and that's when the story doesn't work and and his characterization falls apart too it's like why why would he just stop Um, right but 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 then like when you kind of brush past that that scene is so good like that's exactly what cap would do he's like trying to reason with him and then and then after the military steps in and continues to fight he kind of loses himself again and starts rampaging and they come up with the idea to electrocute him and this is my favorite part of the comic. Mm. She Hulk is ripping up 
this giant bundle of live wires and she like cracks a joke about oh i hope he doesn't splatter when we fry him with these wires and like cap like scolds kind of her scolds yeah, her yeah. like we're we're about to possibly kill a man uh-huh. i don't consider that a cause for levity yeah like it's just very i i don't know like it, it, he was the most like real? human and real right of right. this of, of this comic um it's just i guess a little upsetting that it didn't fit the rest of what was going on if that makes sense mm-hmm. well if you guys enjoy david michelini and mark silvestri they will be taking over web of spider-man at some point in the mm. near future so we have more to enjoy from those creators mm. uh, it's web of i don't even care anymore <laughs> so let's <laughs> Let's, sure, maybe they'll do something with it. Um, let's give a quick recommendation. Uh, I cannot... Ugh, I'm sorry, I can't recommend this. Uh, I don't, And I never want to read it again. Josh, what about you? Oh, it's tough. I actually really had a lot of fun reading it. Is it good? Not really like a good story, but there's a lot of fun moments in it. It's mm. super long. So, um, I think it's definitely okay to skip some parts, like when it starts to kind of drag on and it becomes like a, just a big punching fight. Mm -hmm. You can kind of skim through those pages, but I I think overall I'd recommend it. I I had fun reading it. All right. G.I. Jolie. I'm with Josh. I had a lot of fun reading it too. And I was surprised at, I was honestly surprised and shocked about at how much I enjoyed reading Hmm. i went back and looked through the email to see what was the second book that you had uh, wanted us to read right because initially we were gonna read the two graphic novels but decided for uh, oh fuck that yeah (laughs) (laughs) that it might be too long um but i found myself wanting to read the other one um to see if they were all like this like kind of weird but We'll find yeah. out soon because that one's been rescheduled for an upcoming episode. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I like a half recommendation. Like mm-hmm. right. I'm not pushing it into, your hands, but mm. if I happen to be holding it, I could be him. <laughs> All right, Bex Luther. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with Josh and Jolie. I did have a good time reading it. When I was reading it, I found myself. The time flew by. I didn't, it didn't mm. drag as I was reading it. I was like interested in the story. It right. kept my interest. Right. Um, I think it was Josh that said like, if instead of him knowing it was his daughter and then killing her, if he killed her and then one of his goons was like, hey, that was your daughter. And like the rest of the story would have made 30 million times more sense. <laughs> right. Like mm. if they just changed that little part of it, I think. Right. It would have been like a full recommendation for me because then everything would have made sense and the whole like captain talking him down back to his humanity would have made sense too. But no, I, I liked it. And honestly, I would recommend this to um, anyone who just thinks She-Hulk is hot because She-Hulk is really <laughs> hot in this one. And like, I'm Definitely. reading it and I'm like, the whole time I'm like, yeah, I know I'm gay. Can we just get to the point? Because every every time... She's doing some crazy feat of strength, and she's the she's the boss. And she's like at the end when she's holding the the two um, storm siblings on her freaking shoulders. I'm just like, okay, yep, I'm gay, <laughs> and this is this is the reason why <laughs> it's these old She-Hulk comics. 
No, I, I cut out all the Spider-Man parts, even though that's the reason why we read it, and you're good. <laughs> all right. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, next week we are back to reading regular Spidey comics, which I'm sure everyone's happy about. Um, we're going to be doing Web of Spider-Man number 10 fe- featuring Dominic Fortune. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 272 featuring Slide. Spectacular Spider-Man 110 featuring Spidey vs. Daredevil. And Secret Wars 2 number 7. So be so, sure to join us. Okay, well, alright. That's a lot of fun. So we're getting Secret Wars and a bad guy named The Slide. That's right. <laughs> Gonna be a good one, folks. And you can take it from here, Josh. <laughs> well, go ahead, well, Becca. What? Uh, I was just gonna say, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it next week. Um, <laughs> like I said previously, I'm I'm gonna be dead. So. <laughs> There's no escape. But it's always a week wars. away, anyway. Okay. Anyways, we want to thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. <laughs> it really helps when you leave us a review over on Apple Podcast, or you can drop us a line on Twitter at, at @hctspidercast. Please let us know what you guys think about the comics and the podcast itself. We definitely want to keep that comics conversation going. So until next Monday, Spider, spider friends, friends. Bye-bye. Go, Go for it. it!